This is not just any podcast. This is the Decolonising Contraception Collective Podcast. The Sex Agenda. (laughs) Oh my god! Okay, that's it. That's the intro. The Sex Agenda podcast may contain references to sexual violence, sexual assault or sexual oppression. Our listeners' well-being is our priority. Please feel free to tune out if you need to. Hello and welcome to episode four of The Sex Agenda And this episode is on power, pleasure and patriarchy, a big topic. Um, I'm Dr. Annabelle Shoemimo, founder of Decolonizing Contraception and community sexual reproductive health doctor, and one half of the Sex Agenda podcast. It's Edem and Toomey here, um, other half of the Sex Agenda podcast and community engagement for decolonizing contraception. So, 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 how have you been? Yeah, so I'm really good. Lots of things happening, busy, busy, getting things done. Um, We've just put a call out for our contraception is about everyone campaign, which I'm leading on. So we would love to hear everyone's contraception stories. So yeah, bring them in. I'm really excited to see what the outcome of that would be. But I am. Yeah, I'm great. We're really excited about this. And it's really about saying that, you know, contraception and hormonal contraception is not actually just about not getting pregnant and people use it for lots and lots of other reasons. And it's also not just about cis people. So we really want to hear your variable um, contraception experiences. Yeah, we're really, we're really excited about that. I've been all right. I'm surprised I haven't lost my voice. I've just been talking all the time to everybody (laughs) about everything for the last week. I just feel like I'm as soon as I wake up from morning until I go to bed, I just don't know silence anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's just like mad. But otherwise, yeah, I'm I'm cool. I'm cool. I don't feel like there's been as much mess this week. There's been less less of a mess in the in the news cycle. But I shouldn't say that because I feel like we just are jinxing things (laughs) anyway in in sex news it's um near the it's results time and people are finding out if they've got into their uni of choice and obviously uni's a bit weird because people might be doing remote things for quite some time right and an article in the metro came out um about how universities are telling their freshers so first year uni students that to slow coronavirus there is going to be you know they need to do things differently keep apart and they do not recommend individuals have sex so in in effect advising people that there's like a sex ban on campus obviously you cannot implement a actual ban on people's mm-hmm. behaviors which is um i guess sad for some freshers because you know conventionally freshers like everybody goes and goes a bit wild and I definitely see yeah yeah I definitely see a lot of students in my clinic during freshers being like oh I had a whoopsie like I didn't use um protection I think I've got um an infection and I'm like there's a window period (laughs) 
you can't come here right the day afterwards. Right. It doesn't work that again, way. Again, our inadequate sex education, sex education showing up right? again. Hello. Right? <laughs> I know, right? But basically, they're not going to be able to be on a mad thing. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's it's. I think it, this sort of leads into the second story that I saw, which was about young people in um, Ireland told to have sex online and over the phone to stop the spread of COVID-19. And it almost feels like that's the way that the message should be sort of put out because what Ireland is doing it, they have leaflets and pharmacies across Ireland telling people to play it safe and offering advice mm. and stuff. And I just feel like if you just say to young people, you're banning something, sorry, but like, I feel like that's going to make people still want to do it. You're going to have people who still want to do it. So there still has to be provision or the message has to be framed in a much more positive tone and I like the way that Ireland are doing it they're basically not saying you know they're not going down oh we're banning you Adam likes what Ireland is doing <laughs> liking the messaging you know, know, big 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 fan big fan of Ireland here, you know like <laughs> big, big up fan, Ireland you know <laughs> um but you know I think you're right you know like anytime you say that you're going to ban something, then I think it automatically does make some people want to go and do mm. do that thing. But also, also like remote remote sex, mm. sex phone sex, mm. that is good stuff. Yeah. Anybody that has done long distance dating, it not be like a full <laughs> substitute, but you can you can do some things. Yeah, you can, absolutely. You can upskill in that area and do some things, especially now that we have like video fo- phones and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Bear in mind that obviously if you are not above the age of consent, that you have to be particularly um, careful and not use phones to take pictures of your nude self because it actually does count as creating child pornography. Yes, it does. Um, and you can get in trouble for doing so. So do not do that. But for other people that are of age using, you know, phones and talking to your partner, I mean... You can you can get some stuff. It can add yeah, some spice. Definitely. Some Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred, hundred million times percent agree. And I think that again, this is what Ireland is doing really well compared to us, is that they're framing it in a these are the other things that you can do as opposed to not focusing too much on the things that people can't do um, and using technology. And obviously with the use of technology comes, you know, some issues. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to link in the reference, like how to sense um, nudes safely. So the adventures from bedrooms of African women, which is like an organization based in Ghana, but covers like African women globally did a whole series on how to send nudes safely online. So I will link that in the reference, but I think it's also an opportunity for people to explore the self-pleasure realm which we're going to talk about later on in this episode so yeah it's not all bad news you know (laughs) you know I am so ready for this because for me I literally am always just like solo sex and and door things I think are just very very important or can be for some people they don't have to be obviously for everybody I think it actually very can be very beneficial to people's mental health and Mm -hmm. their perception of self and Mm -hmm. feeling good about themselves so yeah definitely excited for our conversation later so you know again around like covid and you know restrictions on people i've like been thinking how you know it must be really difficult because some people's um social lives and well-being really center around going out and mm-hmm. clubs and partying mm-hmm. and 
the, all of these clubs and uh, are closed essentially and specifically there's been you know a lot of talk in the media again in the metro about um the future of sex clubs and and parties and whether those are gonna be allowed to even happen again in the foreseeable future right because obviously the whole premise of those is about close bodily contact mm -hmm. and you're not gonna socially distance <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, so like you know, condoms and face masks—they limit, but you know, it's the middle of a pandemic, so that doesn't offer you like one hundred percent protection. And for me, this article, what was really interesting about it to see how sort of the you know sex clubs and parties, the people that run them or the companies that do sort of adjusted to the pandemic. And in the story, there's particularly one that like opened and then two weeks later, like everything shut down. So then they held like a session online, which involves like people from all over the world which was like okay that's like an exciting like new experience as well so yeah I just our lives fundamentally changed I think basically. I think that is again you know what I mean people need to get creative get creative but stay safe so I think yes. that's like beautiful you can move things online it's actually sometimes even more exciting mm. if you've like not done something like that before right obviously like right at the beginning of this whole whole quarantina we saw people using that app called like was it the party oh house party house God, party i haven't opened that app in like three yeah. months yeah <laughs> i love it okay so house party was this app basically which was like get togethers but uh -huh. you could like get rooms. together with like rooms with random people mm -hmm. and um, people were locking themselves in rooms with people and doing um you know mutually stuff. consensual stuff stuff um <laughs> online um and that was like all the rage for like a week and then i don't know what happened man it, it died mate i, I, li I literally got... recently just deleted the app i was like what is this doing on my phone i like, think people I... got i honestly think that people got bored it, it with get down and hopped on hopped on tinder and bumble again honestly yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it 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 disappeared again with a swiftness yeah it did but yeah so I do think that shows that there can be some innovation there though um but ultimately you know people are suffering during this time and people want human contact and yeah. we do have to be really real that mm. some people's mental health is going to be like really bad Impact. as a result of this and their 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 whole social network was around kind of you know going out and mm -hmm. things and they've just not been allowed to do that now for the best part of a year so kind of kind of um kind of worrying yeah and then um I think the last thing that you were kind of keen to discuss was yes this story yes so this story um yahoo.com and it's basically like their women's health section so it's the story of this um, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Adam, but every time somebody says Yahoo, I'm just like, Yahoo, Yahoo. Like, Yahoo just, you are not serious. Like, I'm just like, uh, so for, for our listeners that don't know, like a Yahoo, Yahoo boy is like a, 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 a West African young guy wow. that like usually does 419. So like, um, you said, you've said another jargon. What is 419? Please, I beg. Oh, okay. So it's like fraud. You know, those people that email you, send you emails that being like... Like they're a prince or they're like, they're in love with you. So they come in different forms. Princes and need money released. And there are people who obviously use like um, 
prey on vulnerable people for like you know love affection and stuff enter into relationships with people in order to like obtain money and obtain the opportunity to come to the west like yes yeah, so they catfish people like, basically but they're, they're, they're they're so slick on yeah. online they think they are and they're, well, they're yeah. nicknamed in west africa yahoo yahoo boys yeah. which obviously is um a stereotype and true um <laughs> But that is what Exists. I always think of when somebody says Yahoo. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have ruined your story. No, it's fine. Now, now I feel like Lester's a Simi see trouble. Am I Yahoo? Okay, that's it. We're done. We're <laughs> so niche now. We've rolled all the way. So, um, you know, this individual who was experiencing like pain after sex, just, you know, the, the way that she describes it, it was for me, it was like, wow, like this is, this is what women go through on a daily basis. So she was basically, you know, her left labia after sex would swell and become really, really painful. She'd be unable to walk or sit comfortably and then it would just sort of reduce. And when she brought it up to her partner, her partner sort of like, you know, dismissed her concerns. And this continued to happen. It continued to get worse. She went to see a doctor um, and they basically said because it wasn't physically happening to her when she came to see the doctor that there was nothing wrong with her and that she was, you know, it was almost almost sort of implied that she was imagining it, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, this this person continued to suffer from these symptoms for like quite a long time until they were with a friend who just had a baby, whose sister was a, training to be a doctor. And while she was with that person, again, the symptoms appeared and she couldn't move. And her friend called this trainee doctor who also happens to be a woman and explain the symptoms to her and that training doctor just basically um diagnosed her with what is called bartholin cyst um yeah so essentially a bartholin cyst is really they can be quite common i'm not sure how common they are but during this covid19 pandemic for the first few months i was working in the acute gynae unit pretty much full time every day and um, i saw bartholin cysts which had become infected and actually turned to abscesses so a cyst essentially at the entrance of the vagina just between the lips the labia majora there are usually something called bartholin's glands which help with um, lubrication to the vagina um, however, in some people, they can become enlarged and swollen and form cysts, usually just on one side, but sometimes people have them on both sides. And if they become very infected, they can form abscesses. So they become filled with um, pus. So when they're just like cysts, sometimes they can be a bit like uncomfortable, as described in the story that Edem mentioned. Um, and for some people, those will just go and come back and they're not particularly harmful, but they can be, you know, intermittently uncomfortable. But when they're like that, you can have surgery to remove them. But sometimes people don't because they're worried, you know, obviously sometimes mm -hmm. about vaginal complications or the fact that you might sometimes get a bit of vaginal dryness afterwards. But when they become abscesses, sometimes they become really huge. I, I've seen people waddling into the department, wow. can't really sit down. And sometimes worst case, if you've not had like antibiotics, People can come really quite unwell and have temperatures and feel quite sick. And then we have to take them into theatre to drain them. They can be so uncomfortable. And for people that get them recurrently, they can be so frustrating. And sometimes they can be like a bit of a weight to, to have the, the cyst removed. Mm -hmm. And just in terms of like how they're caused, the vast majority of them, um, we don't really know what causes them. Sometimes it is sexually transmitted, but sometimes people are just more prone to prone to getting them recurrently. And it can be such a frustrating problem 
when I see people that get these recurrently, I do feel really <laughs> frustrated for them because sometimes yeah. they do have them removed and then they just come back. Wow. Um, and you know, it's and or then they get it removed and then the other style it starts happening. It can be so frustrating. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this person, you know, suffered with them for over a year, was dismissed by, you know, medical professionals, was dismissed by their partner it's stuff that we see in a line of work that we talk about and we touched on it on like the last episode around reproductive health and being believed and being perceived being understood about what is going on with you you know so it's just it it did hit me really hard because like one of the things that says in the article is that the young woman continued to explain that she did a lot of work trying to undo a lot of the shame and stuff with sex and And then she spent years bracing herself for pain and dealt with it quietly because, again, her partner dismissed her. And when she went to see a professional, they also dismissed her. So, Yeah, I think with reproductive health generally, especially, well, it can happen with people that are specialists anyway, but I think it's not very well taught or necessarily understood in terms of medical school. When um, it's something like pelvic pain, then it can be even more difficult because people can't see anything. Obviously, in her case, like with the bathrooms, there was there was something there and somebody probably should examine mm-hmm. her. I don't know what happened in her specific case. But it can be difficult mm-hmm. because people can often say, oh, you you know, it can't be that bad because you're functioning. Um, so anything that's pain related, it's never really managed um, that well unless there's something like really obvious for people to see. Um, people always like, is it, is it that bad? Have you tried some berries anymore? But it can be, it can be, it can be tricky. So yeah, that, that's a wrap on our sex news this week. And um, we'll have all our links for you to read more. Yeah. On to our wonderful, wonderful guest who I know we've been really excited to talk about because who doesn't like to talk about pleasure, really? Who doesn't? Not me. <laughs> not me and this is obviously a follow-up from the IG live that we did together a couple of weeks back where we discussed this and it was like really well received and a lot of people engaged with it so we thought it'd be really great to have them on the podcast to discuss more about their work around power pleasure and patriarchy to the sex agenda today we have a wonderful guest with us i'm saying wonderful because she is actually also my friend we have adiola adiremi with us who is the founder (laughs) she's the founder of distinguished diva but i'm not gonna say too much i'm gonna let her introduce herself because she is a very talented person and i don't know which part of herself she'd like to share with us today oh wow this is interesting that is interesting because adiola is a lot of persons so i don't know what 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 part of me do you want to know just share with us like what is your main work say my main work is whatever gives me pleasure and black woman pleasure i think that is nice i like that so i go by the tagline intellectual art ho ho as in h e a u x okay you fancy huh Mm. (laughs) 
um i am a scholar i'm a public health scholar i write i edit i'm the editor of distinguished diva and the creator and founder at this point i curate i work as a curator i also work as a yoga trauma healer and i think all of that will actually give people a bit of understanding why i do this work around power pleasure and patriarchy i also work in women's right lobbying in the eu so i'm based in brussels I mean, I just keep can't get over how multi talented, <laughs> multi faceted, multi dimensional beings on the podcast are. Like, it's just unreal. Like when I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I'm really doing things. I come to this podcast. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Just, just <laughs> you can do more. Like when I send people my bio, I just like I do like it's a multilingual, multilocal, multi-format artist, scholar, activist, healer. Everything then, multi, 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 multi. Is that a mono anything? <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, more about the work around power, pleasure, and patriarchy, and how that that came to be a focus for you. Uh, so I think I'll start with like that came to be a focus when I start working as a trauma healer in refugee camps in 2014-15 in Greece. Uh, I was working with survivors of trafficking, um, prostitution, and also tra- uh, when I say prostitution, true trafficking. So there are survivors of trafficking also and uh, intimate partner violence. And I was doing research at the moment uh, at the time, working as a research assistant, documenting their lived experience for paper that I was writing for the ministry back then in Greece. Greece is an entry country to the EU, as everybody know, we're at the borders, so. We just tend to have a lot of cases of people who are trafficked into the European Union or traffic even just into Greece through Turkey and other region. Mm-hmm. And I started working as a researcher, but I was also a certified yoga therapist at the time. And I was trying to find a way to document this very intimate conversation that I was having with this woman, the survivors, and also create a space that is safe and a space that they can leave, not feel violated, that they've told me their story. And that's it. Just like the way anthropologists normally work is they, they take people's story and then run away with it. <laughs> Shade. <laughs> this, this one does not, she doesn't hold back. Uh, yes, I'm a Capricorn. I don't hold back. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, not sorry. I'm not sorry. I, don't. I wanted to do something that actually will also change their life. I didn't just want to collect data from them. So I decided to like uh, think about creating a yoga series that will help them. First of all, when we start together, we all do yoga together for like 30 minutes. And then we talk about my research for the next an hour half. And I actually proposed that to my supervisor. They're like, absolutely great idea. Start doing it on a voluntary basis. Then it become a project that was funded. So I was actually talking to this woman for twice a week I'll talk to them one day about the research and the next day we're just talking about their lives what is life like as a survivor who still live with some of their perpetrators or what is life like as survivors who are in a country that has no infrastructure for example I'm from Greece there are no infrastructure to support women who are surviving domestic violence intimate partner violence or trafficking or sex violence generally so yeah. about how do we create safe space especially even within the refugee camp so in 2015 we had this massive influx of people coming into Greece from Syria and different part of the Middle East due to what was going on in that part of the world. And then there was a lot of rape in the camps. So people who are in transition 
and forced to live in certain spaces that are unlivable for anybody than having to face their trauma and having to be violated daily in the place that they live. So I wanted to create a sanctuary and that is what we did. So basically I had a yoga series that specifically focused on trauma, focused on sexual trauma mainly. So that was how I got into this work. And after I left Greece, I decided to work in media. So I was working in London in media, but I was like, I want my research to mean something more than just a report. So I went back to get a master's degree and I focused exclusively on violence against women, specifically intimate violence, violence and sexual violence. And this is where this research kind of end up in becoming multiple paper, article papers, but also my thesis that focuses on trauma survivors, but specifically from the sub-Saharan African countries. And my analysis for my thesis is what I currently use for this lecture called Power, Pleasure and Patriarchy, because I saw a correlation between the three between the three P's. I call them the three P's. But I also saw how the system of oppression, like the patriarchy, uh, whiteness and different kind of oppression system like capitalism have to do and also power have to do with our pleasure and are inherently connected to the way we view pleasure with ourselves but also with other people wow so much like just so so much there um I just I think one thing that you've said just one thing of the many things um that are amazing about about your work is really how you were really focused on you wanted to get this data obviously to enhance people's understanding of these three p's but you know wider systems um, of oppression but you were really keen to make sure that your participants benefited from the work that you're doing and I think this is really interesting because I've had these conversations in other academic spaces when we're talking about like decolonizing research and institutions about how often we become subjects of research especially um marginalized groups and I always ask how is this going to help and this is why we kind of built um, our movement and we were like we really want this to be very practical because if people can't feel real life change from the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. then it's not really doing what you set out or what should be getting done you're just taking from you're just taking from them so I think that's a beautiful thing that that you managed to build build that in and it actually became an integral part of your project and I think more researchers should should make that that should be a requirement um when you're when you're engaging with marginalized groups and it's not just like public engagement to disseminate information it's like how are you actually building value in communities right now with that work I absolutely agree with you. I'm very action oriented as a person. I'm like, yes, I am a researcher. I'm hired to do this research, but I also know that I have other skills that will be beneficial to the community I'm working with. And I inherently see myself as part of that community because I come from migrant background. My parents are migrant. I am a migrant because I travel different places. And I just think that as researchers who are coming from, it doesn't matter what community you're coming from, you have to think about, is your work just going to sit as a paper somewhere in a library or as supposedly a proposal for a policy, what is the impact in the community you're working in? How are they getting, like the time you spend with them, this is why I threw the shade to anthropology, the time you spend, are you a voyeuristic onlooker or are you actually impacting people's life? 
And for people that don't know, I think I might have said this in a previous episode, but anthropology essentially was quite a colonial social science. It was very much about um, European colonizers going to study indigenous populations. And that was the origin. And it's kind of morphed over the years and it has been more accountable. That's not all anthropology because it's got different branches. But I, I think like anthropology is like a subject or like what it is, is really poorly understood. A lot of people oh. don't know about it. Um, I just wanted to kind of move on and ask more about what you learned around the pleasure aspect because I feel like with pleasure first of all pleasure is just omitted from sexual health a lot Hmm. people just don't really see it as part of like the sexual and reproductive health conversation it's like an afterthought and I just want to know you know what you've learned about it and like are there any specific things that you implement in your own life that you want our listeners to know about So I've learned a lot about pleasure. I think the core of the things that I've learned is how inherent it is, like the way you observe pleasure and why pleasure is being, I guess, uh, disregarded or even dismissed when we talk about mental health and sexual health, because I think they're inherently connected, is because we don't even think about ourselves as pleasurable beings or people that should enjoy pleasure Mm -hmm. due to the impact of the patriarchy, especially for non-masculine bodies so femme bodies like women and tra- and other non-binary folks we see our body as inherently belonging to someone or belonging to something or belonging to a system we don't learn to to explore exactly to explore our own body in all of the facet that it comes in like as a child do you learn to give yourself pleasure when children touch themselves in places because that's curiosity and that's a human brain that's how it works they got told oh don't touch yourself there don't do that and i think inherently once what i learned was the power of who owns your body Mm. comes connected to the patriarchy and the system that we currently live in where your body is seen as a object or as a creative process, like something that works and get money. It's not rest. It's not uh, touching yourself and feeling good. It's not ecstasy. It's not euphoric. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when we talk about pleasure, the way I see pleasure is actually the only way where we can actually experience our full human being and our full humanity, both sexually, but also just physically, if you don't, if you look into the mirror and what you see doesn't pleasure you, that already comes from what you've been told by the world or what you see is something you want to always constantly change. That's telling me that you are getting messages from somewhere that what you're seeing is not what you should be enjoying or what should derive a happiness from. Right. So what you're saying just reminds me of, um, so... I cut my hair, like I shaved my hair. Like really. love it. Love it. <laughs> really, that's not why I'm not fishing for a compliment. That's not why I'm saying this. But I cut my hair and um so I changed my picture on my WhatsApp, right? And I was like, okay, my mom's gonna respond because my mom's on my WhatsApp. So I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And the next day I woke up and I've dyed my hair. It's like a light brown, blonde-ish, adjacent colour. And the next day I woke up to like five missed calls from my mom. I was like, okay, she's in the picture. And then the next message was, Eden, what have you done to yourself? What have you done to your head and your hair? And I was like, okay. And then like, I didn't say anything to her. I pretended like I was, I didn't, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And then like a few weeks later, we were talking and she was like, oh, we were talking about something else, family, something else. And she's like, and she brought it up. She's like, oh, 
you know, this haircut that you've done, this haircut is only for like older women who have experienced things in life. You know, I don't know why a young girl like you is doing this haircut and like men are not going to find you attractive. It's not nice. And yeah. And I was like, yeah, I was like, please. No, you are supposed to think about like, this is your head. This is your head. This is how you want to show up in the world. But you're supposed to think about how men are going to see you. Right. And it's so interesting how, you know, um, we haven't actually got into this on the podcast, but we know that for black women specifically, our hair is just through our communities. But, you know, even, you know, people do it again to themselves. And that is why a lot of black women cut their their hair off sometimes because they want to be liberated from all the meaning that is attached to our hair. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I had the same experience like a few years ago. I have a really massive afro. I have what a lot of people call good hair. I've got loads of hair. Um, and, you know, my mum really loves my hair. So she almost like lives <laughs> her hair Ooh. through me. And I decided to dye my hair various shades of purple. It was something that I, I wanted to do. I'd wanted to do for ages. And so I made I made that decision. And she was just so distressed by it. You know, she was really like, people will think you're like really wayward and like people, <laughs> wayward, will, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not professional. It's not. And I was like, well, it doesn't really matter because actually a lot of the time I wear headscarves anyway, because I don't like people touching my hair. Mm. So people will only see it when I want them to see it. And that's a choice that I made for quite a few years about my hair generally because I didn't like people touching it. So I just wrap it up. And I just found it really fascinating how she was really personally, like personally offended. Affronted, affronted. Like, how dare you? I cut my hair while I was doing my master thesis and my mother and everybody who, my mother, I get because she's my mom and I live in the same house with her at the time. But aunties and uncles who live continents away calling me <laughs> and asking me why I cut my beautiful afro because I, ha I have, and I, I, I'm going my hair back. I have this very loose, curly, beautiful afro and I wanted to cut it because everybody was just being ranting about how beautiful my hair is. And I'm just like, what is your obsession with my hair? Mm. So it was a reaction to that. And also just like, I just wanted to cut my hair, period. And my mom was so devastated. My sister was just like, wow, why are everybody pissed that you cut your hair? I was like, I don't know. But at this point, the fact that they see my hair as a property or as an extension right. of themselves. And honestly, it's so funny how much our, our journeys are similar because I actually cut my hair off after I handed in my medical anthropology thesis which was focused on hair so I had relaxed hair and I had really long relaxed hair and people loved it and you know people almost used to suggest that it was like the defining feature that mm. made me attractive mm. um, in their eyes that I had really you know long hair um and I just wanted it gone so I like cut it off when I had hand in my master's thesis again another point of distress for, <laughs> for my mom and I remember a friend of mine at uni really close friend of mine like it was a completely unsolicited comment just being like oh well you're just not as attractive anymore and I was just like this is so weird because you know it's really ask you <laughs> yeah, I just so always weird. like who asked you <laughs> it's just this like thing about like you know people a just unsolicited comments right. and then also how you know you're defining yourself how you want to be defined mm -hmm. um and people are like get very distressed about women with or or you know feminine present people with no hair I'm right like, just, yeah 
mind your business absolutely mind your business but I just think I just think about how you know like the amount of power that I got from like shaving my hair because before my hair was this really short it was it was like a shape up sort of like a mohawk type but not really and I had had that for about over a year and even when I did that like that was a big point of contention in my family again and it was like well man and man I'm like am I living for man please most of the people I did my research with, I was like, they're telling me like, you know, like when we do yoga and you move your body a certain way and mm. I actually made people touch other people. So I'll be like, do a pose together, two people. So you literally need to touch someone else, push their back, give them a pat. They'll be like, oh, I've never think that I could touch people and feel good like this. Mm. And these are people who are survivors of sexual trauma. So it, it's really difficult to allow themselves to touch other people or be touched by other people. And I'm just like, that's your body. You should feel good about it. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think I should be touching her. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. And because we talk, it took time to create rapport and allow them to even allow me to like adjust them in yoga positions, right? Mm -hmm. And then they get to a level where they give each other hugs, Mm -hmm. where they would see me and be like, Adiola, can I give you a hug? And I'm just like, that's the pleasure of staying in a massive bear hug together and bonding with people and then we start talking about orgasm and me asking them have you ever had an orgasm and this lady who's like 75 years old say like what is an orgasm and I sat there explaining to her and like telling her have you ever taken a mirror and look into your parts like have you looked down there with a mirror and she was like they didn't teach us these things and it's supposedly unethical and wrong. Right. And there's a lot of guilt and shame. So much shame. So much shame. And this is the thing. Like we shame our body and we also, we socialize like that, right? Like we're all socialized to feel certain way about our body. And my assignment was always like making them do things like, okay, when you go home, I want you to take a picture and just for yourself, just take a picture and look at it and see the colors and see what do you feel while you're looking at the colors or look within a mirror. And most of them were like, I don't have a mirror. I'm like, okay, but you have a phone so you can take a picture. Like, okay, I'm going to look with a uh, picture. And then they'll come to me and they say like, I've never known. And some people have children. So you've given birth this area, but you would never seen the color. Like, oh, I didn't know that the lips look like this. And are they the same in everyone? I'm just like, no, they're not. And I think, inherently orgasm self-pleasure and pleasure should be part of sexual reproductive health so I mean absolutely 100% and similarly I've had those experiences in clinic where um, people clearly don't know um, what their genitalia looks like Mm -hmm. I mentioned you know the labia the lips and you know different parts and they don't really know what that is and a lot of a lot of people don't know especially older generations where their clitoris is Mm. and it's something that we really again good sex ed we really need um to to sort out massively but I think what I find so interesting is that you're talking about how getting to know yourself and know what you enjoy I guess has has helped people heal from from trauma and I think it's something that is really not talked about enough within sexual health how actually you know touching yourself and 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 pleasure can actually really help people's mental health Mm -hmm. yeah and I I I think I mean so let's get this out of the way I masturbate daily period 
moving on. All right. Uh, I think people don't talk about the, the release you get, like the dopamine release that you get from just masturbating, from having, an, you don't even have to have an orgasm, but feeling good in your body and getting this confidence. And I talk a lot because my work is centered around trauma he, uh, survivors about how they can get to know themselves and claim their power and reclaim their body. Because when you are a survivor of sexual violence, you inherently also think that your body is to blame. Yeah. Or you think that it's your fault that these things happen. And this is not me just bringing things up from my head. This is a conversation I've had with people where they're like, well, if I wasn't dressed inappropriately, then maybe. Or if my family were rich and I wasn't unfortunate to come on this trip and be lied to that I'm coming on this trip to work for people, I wouldn't be a victim of trafficking. I'm just like, inherently, you're a victim of capitalism. It's not your fault. You haven't done anything right. to be a victim of this industry it is a massive industry the trillion dollar industry right and i think allowing them and giving them permission because i think a lot of us needed permission because of the way we've been socialized about touching yourself mm -hmm. and telling them that if you can just touch your lips and find where your clitoris is come back to tell me how this how that feels and i was like spend 15 minutes and just find your clitoris touch it use different texture different temperature and come back and tell me how you feel and it's a way for them to like, oh my God, I reclaim my own body. And maybe in, not in this exact words, but in the words to like say, I'm very grateful because my vagina isn't hurting anymore. Yeah, I think that's all just amazing stuff. I'm not sure if you've ever come to use the Great Wall of Vagina. Yes. Yeah, I think it's such a good teaching resource and we'll put it in the, re the references link. But essentially what it is, is um, an artist took loads of plaster casts of um, various um, vulvas and um, it just shows how variable they can they can be and it's really good at when somebody comes to me and is like oh um, I don't really understand my anatomy or is this funny because increasingly people do have a lot of um, anxiety around genitalia because yeah. there is more visibility on online and you can look at you know people's genitalia more freely and there's you know lots of free porn on the internet mm -hmm. so people have a lot of anxiety around their genitalia I'm like oh look like there's this whole variety of genitals even if you haven't or don't feel comfortable using a mirror you can see that that it's just so different but it's really sad that people just don't get this education early enough and it leads to quite a lot I think of health anxiety and a lot of trauma for some people because they think they shouldn't touch there they don't want to look down there yeah. because they were told not to <laughs> when mm -hmm. they were younger mm -hmm. and they just carry that through and nobody asks them about it ever again until something bad happens to them yeah or until also and I think that's the necessary fact of like having communities that have this conversation and raising the next generation of women and femmes to just be able to have this conversation I think the more conversation we have around sexual health that includes self-worth includes self-pleasure includes telling people to just be aware of each other's genitalia and not just the anatomy but also the feelings attached to the anatomy right. and the way you can talk about it safely and who you can talk about it safely with I think those are just big part of sexual health reproduction and I think communities are really a part like you can tell people to read books and people do read books but don't still have they feel alone and if shame is attached and guilt to something you need to hear other people's story to understand that you're not alone in this I think it's a human 
need in a way. Mm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, building community and being able to share these conversations, like you gracing us with your presence, um, is just so lovely because, you know, even just through this conversation, we've realized, oh, you know, a lot of our experiences around certain things align and it makes you feel like you're not alone or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's more people doing this work. On that note, what kind of things are you working on at the moment and what are you doing going forward um, in terms of all the amazing things that you're doing? What are your what are your key projects at the moment? Uh, my key projects at the moment are actually, one is based on this. So on the research part, I wanted to create tools. So I worked on a tool for the past two years and it's finally kind of out there in a tree-zip format. So I worked on an affirmation deck that will help people who are survivors of sexual trauma to reclaim their power by just reciting words to themselves. And these are words that I have used. These are words that I have used with people that I work with in the camps or even just generally people I work with outside of that section. And uh, it will be out later this year. I actually released it into the world yesterday. So I sent it out as a gift. So it's a collection of 88 affirmations that are very different from each other and they're mostly very power centered. So it's about power, but the power within, the power you reclaim by reclaiming who you are sexually, who you are as a sensual being, who you are as a femme-bodied person, as a feminist, uh, feminine presenting person into the world. And I also do this lecture. So it's a, an hour and a half, three hour lecture where I talk about power, pleasure, and kind of divide and talk about what power looks like, because power is not inherently bad. There are just very different forms of power and talking from uh, academic, but also from a social scientist perspective, but also from a healer perspective and saying what are power and what part of, what's, what kind of power do we actually want to own in the world? And how do we go about that? And also talking about pleasure a lot. Uh, I'm working on a book that will be part of also the affirmation deck. So the affirmation deck will be out for pre-order in September. There is a link to it in my Instagram bio that you can download the first 22 set that are for free and you can print them out by yourself and use them and see how they work for you. And there is a prescribed bath that you can take to just feel pleasurable and powerful in your own body. You can do that by just using the ingredient that I put together and they are tested done being used multiple times by myself. I take a bath every time I feel down, every time I feel depressive, I, I manage and live with depression. So I take a bath every time and yeah, I think that's it. So if you're looking for just to see what the affirmation decks look like, you can just have access to the free 22 version. They are 88. They are Reiki infused. They'll be out later to pre-order in September. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Adiola. It's always a pleasure and joy speaking to you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been it's been a pleasure. Um, it's so Ooh, no pun intended. No, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended at all. Um, we we hope that you feel inspired to own own your your body and go and enjoy yourself. Um after after that conversation because you deserve it if that's what you want to do
we're going to now move into our growth section. And I know Edem has something wonderful that she wants to share. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing this week's growth section. And this week's growth session is basically inspired and coming from a conversation that has been happening over the past week or so. So if you've been living under a rock, (laughs) you didn't know, Beyonce released a project, Black is King. Everyone was screaming. Ghana was heavily represented. So Ghana Twitter was going raw. And I'm big, <laughs> I'm a big Shatawale fan. So I definitely watched that. And yeah, like, you know, again, like big up to all the artists and stuff. Cause like creating art is like a very, very exhaustive process. So yes, but you know, Beyonce's imagination of quote unquote Africa caused a lot of hoo-ha, caused a lot of stir. You know, there were people that were family in the beehive camp that have to, you know, she can do no wrong. And then the people, they're like, she's great. We love her. But, you know, she, not everything she does is great. And let's talk about it. So uh, my growth section is coming from a piece in the Culture Review magazine. Uh, and it's called Black America is King. And it's by Tishamo Malatiji. And... Basically, it just says, and I quote, at some point, this dominant hegemon began an Africanization campaign to incorporate imagery, their artistic production, which implicitly relates to Africa. This sort of imagery is what we consider the African aesthetic. Certainly, many people in Black America have ancestral roots to Africa, which were severed by the unnatural evil of slavery. This does make their ancestry difficult to the also true common ancestry that everyone shares with the continent. However, this does not mean they cannot occupy positions of power relative to the continent. A person stripped from the village can indeed become more powerful than the village itself. So I think that this article is just calling for us to have a more structural analysis of what's going on in the world. While it's great that, you know, this body of work has been released and, you know, a lot of black creatives, you know, got to show themselves. I think that, you know, what has happened is speaking to a much wider power dynamic and structure in place um, and how all of this feeds into it, which, you know, at DC, like we're anti-capitalist, we're anti-neoliberalism, you know, and yes, and we also like Beyonce's work a lot. And those two things can be true at the same time. So yeah, that's that's this week's growth section. Yeah, I mean, this episode has been so filled with information. So, <laughs> and that was, I think, really representative um, of that and the fact that there is just so much to learn and unlearn so thank you thank you for sharing that and we're gonna have lots of references included and I think if people have questions then feel free to you know get at us on Instagram and Twitter and and ask us a bit more about about this episode but it's really hoping it starts a conversation so that's us episode four episode four (laughs) we out